Happy Mother's Day. I want to do something a little bit different. I've been your pastor now over two years, and today I want to get very personal. Even though I've been here two years, many of you don't know the story of my family. You know my daughter. She plays the guitar here, Karis, but you rarely see my other two. My daughter, Jessica, is here today, but she lives off in West Virginia. My son lives back in Pennsylvania, so you don't see them very much, and you don't know the story. Most of you, maybe all of you, don't know the story unless you were here for early service. And so I want to tell you the story about how God put our family together, but how he used his word to speak very directly and specifically to us to encourage us in the process. But I lead with this. A little boy was talking to his dad, and he asked, Dad, what is a man? His dad replied, a man is someone who's strong, reliable, responsible, and takes care of the family. The little boy said, when I grow up, I want to be a man, just like mom. <laughs> Here's our story. Debbie and I wanted to adopt children. It was my desire from childhood. If you'd asked me as a little kid, what do you have plans? Do you, you plan to get married? I'd say, yes, and we want to adopt children. It turns out it was Debbie's desire, too, after she had to leave health class when she saw the film, The Miracle of Life, and she saw where babies really come from. It was also God's desire, after we learned a medical condition would preclude Debbie from conceiving naturally. And so God began putting his plan into effect. And so we became foster parents. Debbie and I took foster training that we never actually finished. If you look in this article, those two really good-looking people right in the middle, that's us. But we took this training we never finished. We required a house inspection that we never passed. We asked for one child, but they called us with two. Caston was four, and Jessica was three. We learned that the biological parents were drug abusers, alcohol abusers, spouse abusers. Our children had been abandoned numerous times. In fact, kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was one time our children had been abandoned in a hotel room. And even at their young age, they realized they needed a bath. And so they began to run the water for the bath, but they forgot to turn it off. And so you can imagine the bathtub overflowed and the water went out uh, underneath the door and out into the rest of the hotel. And that's when the police were called and everything was found out. Our children had been variously abused. They had been shot at by their father. They lived out of convenience stores because the parents were constantly running from the law, so they'd stop and get this or get that or get the other and be on their way. Our children were forced to drink alcohol as a bedtime sedative. Once we became foster parents and these children were in our home, we had to make state-supervised periodic visits with the biological mother. The father had been in jail since the children were taken. But when we'd have these visits with the mother, she would tell those children, don't listen to them. And she would also tell them that we are not their mom and dad. Well, then we became parents, teaching our children the basics, like using utensils. These children had always eaten on the go. They did not know what a fork was. They'd never seen one. We were teaching them to speak English. They hadn't been spoken to much. 
they were from America, but they hadn't been spoken too much. And that's how children learn. When you talk to a child, they learn the language. Jessica was especially hard to understand. First of all, she was three years old. Secondly, she had a thick Mississippi accent. And so Caston, our son, he was a year older. He was our interpreter. And so Jessica would mumble something, and Caston would say, well, this is what she means. But even Caston sometimes would get stuck. Jesse would say something, Caston would look at us and go, I don't know. (laughs) Teaching them basics. Nurturing them. We endured countless sleepless nights responding to nightmares related to their abuse. We had to show them and assure them that there was food to eat. Debbie had to take especially Jessica to open the freezer and say, look, there's food here. You don't have to worry. And Debbie would often check under Jessica's pillow and find food there that she had snuck from dinner because she didn't know if there was going to be another meal at the next mealtime. We introduced these children to holidays. Can you imagine being three and four years old and never having had a birthday? To be three and four years old, having never celebrated Christmas. But most importantly, as their parents, we planted in these children the gospel. We told them that God loves them so much, he sent his only one and only son to die on the cross to pay for their sins. To be buried and rise again the third day. We realized we didn't know how long these children would be with us. But the most important thing we could give to them, the most important thing we could leave with them is the gospel of Jesus Christ. They began to call us Mama. Debbie hates that. Mama and Daddy without prompting. Well, we became foster parents and we became parents. My seminary friend, Rhett, he became an uncle. He called and emailed often to keep abreast of the situation. He prayed for our family regularly. And once... While praying in the Winn-Dixie grocery store 160 miles away, Rhett broke down in the aisle. He didn't know why. He just became overwhelmed with God's assurance. We found out later that at that approximate time, the biological father had been released from jail and committed suicide. Now, the social worker was assigned to inform our children. We were told by the state, do not tell your children that their biological father is dead. That's the responsibility of the social worker. So the social worker was uh, very anxious about it. She came over to the house and she asked me for some advice. She thought I might know because part of my responsibility as a pastor, sometimes I have to break that news to people. And so I gave her some advice. I said, but I don't know how to tell a a three-year-old and a four-year-old that their father has passed away. And so the, the social worker was extremely nervous, extremely anxious. And when she sat down and told them, we were all shocked. Caston and Jessica, you could see on their face the relief because they knew that man could never abuse them ever again. With a father no longer a factor, only the mother remained. And we would meet the biological mother in court on Friday, August 1st, 1997. If her rights were terminated, Cassin and Jessica would be freed for adoption. We desperately needed God's assurance. Because the social workers seemed unconcerned with the mother's positive drug tests. They seemed unconcerned with the mother's numerous arrests for public fighting. They seemed unconcerned with the testimonies of various extended family members who said, these children should not be with this woman. 
But the social workers didn't seem to care. And then at the last minute, right before court, the state switched lawyers who didn't know anything about the case. And so I sought for assurance in my daily reading of God's Word. I was then reading the Bible through, cover to cover, one chapter a day. And then on Wednesdays, and this you'll understand why later, on Wednesdays, I would read the Sunday school lesson for the next Sunday. But other than that, the other six days of the week, I was reading the Bible through one chapter a day. I had begun this reading pattern the summer of 1995, months before we had any children in our home. But as you will see, God orchestrated my devotional reading to coincide with this precise week where we would be going to court where we had hoped that the parental rights would be terminated and Cassandra and Jessica would be freed for adoption. And so what I want to share with you this morning is that God speaks through his word. God speaks through his word. You say, well, I know that. He speaks encouraging things and he speaks inspiring things. But what I want you to see today is not only does he speak encouraging things and inspiring things, sometimes God will speak directly and literally through his word, and that's what he did this week before this big court date. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 125. We'll be looking at Psalm 125, 126, 127, and 128. And you will see that God not only spoke encouraging and inspiring words, He spoke direct and literal words that have all come true. But God speaks through His Word. The words in the Bible that are recorded there date variously from 2,000 to 6,000 years old. And because they are God-breathed, God still uses them. Don't forget 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And the Psalms are very helpful. The Psalms are particularly helpful because they were man's words to God. Now they are God's words to man, and they are very human. And so I want to show you today how God literally spoke to me that week in my time of need through his word. Beginning, first of all, on Monday, July 28, 1997, I was scheduled to read Psalm 125, and I did. And look what I saw in verse 1. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. I learned that trusting God places one on solid footing. I also learned in verse 2 that God watches out for and protects his own. It says there, as the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. I learned that the wicked cannot touch what belongs to the righteous. Look in verse 3. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous. And then I learned in verse 4 that the Lord does what is good to his people. It says, do good, O Lord, unto those that be good and to them that are upright in their hearts. And so the Lord does good to his people who do good things, talking about our external behavior, and also who are the upright in heart, talking about being right with God. And then I loved verse 5. It says there, the crooked shall be led away. Verse 5, as for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. So day one, and I didn't realize that God was literally speaking to me yet. 
But I was very excited when I read that trusting God places one on solid footing. Remember, I needed assurance that God watches out for and protects his own, that the wicked cannot touch what belongs to the righteous, that the Lord does what is good to his people, and the crooked shall be led away. It was very encouraging. I didn't realize what was going on yet. And then Tuesday, July 29th, 1997, I was scheduled to read Psalm 126, and I did. Verse 1 says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. I thought, oh no, another captivity psalm and then I realized that our captivity would be, would cease we had been held captive to this mother for two years we had been held captive to a judge's decision for two years but our captivity would cease and our attitude would change I'd look how in verse 2 then was our mouth filled with laughter our tongue was singing then said they among the heathen the Lord has done great things for them our attitude would change our lamenting would become laughter our sorrow would turn to singing Many tears had been shed. The social workers, as I said, they seem unconcerned. Our own family members said, you know those kids are going to go back to the family? But we would have yet another story to tell about God. Look at the end of verse 2. Then they will proclaim, the Lord has done great things for them. And our harvest would come with rejoicing. Many tears had been sown, but joy would come. Look in verse 5. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Many tears had been sown, but joy would come. We had planted precious seed. Look at verse 6. He that goes forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We had planted precious seed. We planted these children in our home. We planted the gospel in the children. And I will tell you, had our children been removed, we would certainly have been sad. But we would have no regrets. No regrets. Well, Wednesday came along. Wednesday was a Sunday school lesson. I don't remember what that lesson was for the week. I'm sure it was pertinent, but it's been too many years now. But then Thursday, July 31st, 1997, I was scheduled to read Psalm 127, and I did. This is the night of the day before court. Look at verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes but in vain. What has been built for God will not be destroyed. And look in verse 2. Our worry was unnecessary. It says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. God understands we're human. God understands we worry about things. But God prefers us to sleep and let him handle the worries, especially the night before this court date. Debbie and I both tossed and turned all night. We just couldn't get to sleep because we were worried. We were anxious. I mean, this judge was going to make a decision that would make or break our family. And so we tossed and turned. But we had another problem. Right outside our bedroom window was this blow-up pool that we got the children. And it was full of water. They quit using it, but the frogs loved it. And it seems this Thursday night, as we were having trouble sleeping anyway, these frogs were especially amorous. And what a chorus of croaking there was. And then I read something 
that almost knocked me over. In verse 3, lo, children are an inheritance from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. See, I learned there that children are inherited from God as a reward from God. Children don't become, come because of a physical relationship uh, with your spouse. You say, Brother Gary, I need to teach you some biology. The real aspect, the real truth of it is that God gives children as an inheritance and as a reward. And certainly in our case, we're not talking about any biology here. But we were talking about an inheritance. And we were talking about a reward. And let me just pause and ask you a question. I don't care how old your children are, how young they are. Are you treating your children as the Bible says you should? That they are an inheritance from God. That they are a reward from God. Are you treating your children as such? Like a precious family heirloom? Are you treating your children like a trophy that you've just won? We could have lost our children the very next day. You could lose your children anytime. Many people waste their inheritance about you don't waste your inheritance from God well Thursday comes and goes with no sleep and then it's Friday August 1st 1997 I'm scheduled to read Psalm 128 and I did I read in verse 1 that God honors those who live for him it says blessed is everyone that fears the Lord and walks in his way God honors those who live for him And then I learn in verse 2 that our years of labor had not been in vain. It says, for you shall eat the labor of your hands. Happy you shall be, and it will be well with thee. We would enjoy the fruits of our years of labor. We would experience happiness. And all would be well in the end. And then verse 3 really did knock me over. It says there that children would be around my table. Look what it says. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine by the sides of your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Now we always made it a point to eat together as a family. Knowing that our children came from uh, such randomness. Debbie knew they needed structure. And one of the ways she provided structure is we would sit down as a family at every meal. Full place settings. China. Cloth napkins. All the silverware. And we would eat together as a family. And when I read this in verse 3, your children are going to be around your table, it hit me right between the eyes. I knew what God was saying. And let me pause again and say, I think one of the problems with society today is that families have stopped eating together. We go through the drive-thru, we grab something real quick, got to drop the kids off at soccer, music lessons, whatever it might be. And we don't eat together. We don't sit down and talk to each other. But look at the first part of verse 3, and I will tell you that this perplexed me. It says, your wife shall be a fruitful vine. Well, these children weren't, you know, from my wife. And she wasn't a fruitful vine, and there was also that doctor's, you know, the doctor told us, I told you that earlier. And that perplexed me until Karis was conceived five years later, now 20 years ago. And then this made complete and total sense. 
But there's more. God's blessing was coming our way. Look at verses 4 and 5. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord shall bless you out of Zion. You shall see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. God's blessing was coming our way. And then I learned in verse 6 that our children were to become a permanent fixture. Notice verse 6. Yea, you shall see your children's children. God promised that we would see grandchildren. Jessica, who's here today, these are her two, Brindley and Branson. And my son, and you will notice their faces, you can't see their faces because my son is a foster dad and he's hoping to adopt a brother and sister just like happened to himself personally. I wish he would shave his beard. (laughs) Do you now see the divine coordination of my Bible reading? I started this thing back in the summer of 1995. We didn't have children in our home, but God knew my pattern, reading one chapter a day, except on Wednesdays, he knew that too, that the week I needed to hear from God directly and specifically, these are the verses I would be reading. And look at the end of verse 6, it says, you will not only see your children's children, you'll see peace. It wasn't over yet, but it would be. Debbie and I arrived at court early. And we arrived at court early, not so we didn't miss our time. We arrived at court early because we wanted to march around that courthouse seven times. Taking a page from Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, we marched around that courthouse seven times early in the morning. We didn't want to see the courthouse fall down. We wanted to see the red tape fall down. We wanted to see the paperwork fall down. We wanted all the legal mumbo-jumbo to fall down so these children would be freed to be adopted. Well, after we marched around seven times, we waited for our case all day long, and it finally came up at 4.30 p.m. I don't know if you know a lot about courthouses. Maybe Bill could enlighten you some. Nobody in the courthouse is going to start anything new at 4.30 in the afternoon on a Friday. It was too late to start a new case. And as we were sitting in the hallway, we were hearing as people were coming in and out of the courtroom, we were hearing, well, uh, the case is going to be postponed or continued. Starting at about 4.45 p.m. on August 1st, 1997, on a Friday, Our case was heard and decided in record time, one hour. Now, the state does not take lightly terminating parents' rights. But in God's economy, these children didn't belong to the biological mother anymore. They belonged to the Schneiders. Children were adopted in January of 1998. Here we are in the judge's chambers. But before the judge signed the paperwork, he looked Debbie and I straight in the eye. He said, you need to understand, once I sign these papers, these are your children as though you had them naturally. These are your birth children as far as the law is concerned. And they will be entitled to everything you have, all your inheritance. I said, sign the paper. I looked at Debbie. I said, joke's on them. We don't have anything. (laughs) 
something else. Back in 1980, my dad bought me a lithographed Hallmark ornament, metal lithographed ornament. And from 1980, I began collecting these ornaments. And I have every one, every one they've ever made, even till the current day. I want to show you what came out Christmas 1997 in that collection, Daughter and Son. Now, if that's not a God thing, what is? A few years later, after all of this, it kind of got filed back in our minds. A few years later, I contracted a deadly autoimmune disease that had no known cure. And I was talking to a friend of mine. I was relating to him my impending death. And he knew this whole story that we almost sort of had forgotten about. And as I was telling him about that I was going to die, he responded, you can't die. God promised you grandchildren. And I was cured shortly thereafter. But here's an aside. Husbands, listen up. If you ever want your wives to treat you like gold, let them find out you're dying. <laughs> Debbie has never treated me so well as when she thought I was heading out. But I want to know this morning, is God speaking to you? God speaks through his word, but is God speaking to you? Are you reading his word? If I had not been reading God's word, all of this assurance that came the very week we desperately need, I wouldn't have had any of this. But because I'm committed to reading God's word, God knew what I needed to hear and he didn't just provide me encouragement. He didn't just provide me inspiration. He provided me direct, literal messages. Are you reading his word? You say, well, Brother Gary, I tried that. But it's hard. The place names are hard to pronounce. And, and those people and those genealogies, it's so hard to read God's word. Let me ask you this. Have you asked God for wisdom and understanding? James 1.5 puts it like this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given. If you can't understand God's word, let me ask you, have you asked him to help you understand it? He wrote the thing. He understands it, and he'll teach it to you. But not only does God speak through his word, encouraging, inspirationally, but also directly and literally, God also speaks through fellow believers, like me, for instance, today. Let me ask you a few questions, and maybe God is speaking through me to you. Are you living for him? Remember what we learned here. God takes care of his own. God honors those who trust him. Are you living for him? Secondly, are you raising your children without regrets? Thirdly, do you treat your children like the precious gifts they are? I know they irritate you. I get it. But they are precious gifts. They're an inheritance, a reward. Or are you wasting your inheritance? This isn't an inheritance from your parents. This is an inheritance from God. Are you wasting your inheritance? And if you are, here's the tragedy. They'll grow up to waste theirs too. 
Many give the best of everything they can, except for that which lasts forever. They'll give their children the best clothes, the best education, the best home. But a child without a relationship with God will die with the best that life has to offer and go straight to hell and be an absolute waste of inheritance. We gave our children a loving home. But more than that, we gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a good parent today, it's not about the money you spend on your kids. It's that you do everything you can in your power, starting at the very youngest age. Give them the gospel. That's the only thing that's going to last forever. The designer clothes don't last. The, the chef-prepared food doesn't last. The education doesn't last. Only a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's all that lasts. And so parents, moms, dads, parents, I don't care how old your kids are, how young they are, how old they are. If you're not sure that your children have received Christ as Savior, make that your number one priority. Do all you can do to share Christ with them that they might receive him. And once you feel you have that assurance, then go share that same message with a lost and dying world. So the invitation today is like it is every Sunday. Moms and everyone else, invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior. If you've never invited Christ, you've never believed that he died for you, was buried for you, rose again from the dead for you, may today be the day, Mother's Day 2022, that you receive Christ as your Savior. And once you've received him, make sure you present him to your children. Not once. Every time God gives you an opportunity, model your faith before them. Present it to them verbally. Share Christ. And until they receive Christ, your job's not done. Until your children are saved, your job as a mom or dad is not done. And then, once you've shared with them and God assures you they're saved then go beyond your four walls and tell the world they need God God alone can save them God alone can give them eternal life so make sure today that you're saved and once you're saved reach the world starting with your own and by all means, dedicate from this day forward. You will read God's word every single day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. I'm thrilled that this story happened to me, but what happened to me and Debbie could happen to anybody. Lord, you're so kind, you're so gracious, you're so compassionate, you're so loving. And we need your help. None of us are good parents. We all make mistakes. We need your grace. But thank you for entrusting your inheritance to us. May we be good stewards of the inheritance that you've given us. Father, if there's anybody in this room or watching online who has yet to receive Christ as Savior, give them grace and faith to believe right here, right now. 
And then, Father, may we all seek to reach our own families with the gospel and then share it with others around the world. Bless this invitation. Bless our moms especially. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.